Good evening, everyone. Uh, this is my first Thanksgiving here at Trinity, and it's a privilege to stand in front of you to bring God's Word. So let's read from Colossians 3. Uh, before that, let me just, for those who don't know me, my name is Sion, and I'm one of the Parsons College students. I'm in second year, and my fellow students, Daniel Coughlin and Daniel Froman. I'm in between those two lawyers. And uh, my second, first semester is almost, uh, almost done. <laughs> Please pray for me for that. Okay, so let's read from Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 until verse 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So here we have Apostle Paul telling the church of Colossae, Colossae um, to let peace of Christ rule in their hearts and to let the word of God do richly dwell within them and whatever they do and say, to do them in the name of Jesus. So when I first read these verses, the first question that came to my head was, How? How do I have peace of Christ? How do I have the word of God dwell in me richly? Um, how do I obtain these things? That was the question that was going through my head. But it is simpler than that. Paul here builds up his case from the fact that we are made new in Christ. How does Paul start in this letter here? In chapter 1, he starts with hammering the people of Colossae on the importance of Christ, who he is, and what he has done. And so let me read from Colossians chapter 1, starting verse 13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And skipping to verse 19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you are formally alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. So this is the gospel that Paul presents to the church. That's where he lays the foundation. And from here on, he basically goes on saying, come on, guys, we have Christ. He died for our sins and he made us new. We are blameless before God. That's why I'm struggling and suffering to bring this good news to you and to others. 
And he writes, Therefore, as you have received Christ, walk in him. You were dead in sins, but now you are made alive in Christ. So the gospel message changes us. The very words of the gospel pierces our hearts, cuts to the bone. And the gospel hardens people's heart or it softens them, causing them to repent and turn to God. And so a renewed heart will bear new fruits. Romans 10, verse 8 to 10 says, The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. A believing heart bears righteousness. On the contrary, an unbelieving heart will bear self-idolatry, a heart that is against God. And so now turning back to the passage here that we are reading, the peace in the word of Christ and everything that we do is the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. And so every time Paul gives these exhortations, the peace of God, the word of uh, the peace of Christ, the word of Christ, and everything that we do in the name of Christ, he attaches the word thankfulness at the end of each verse. Well, if he's repeating thankfulness in every verse, maybe we should pay attention to that word. I mean, that's why we are here, right? To celebrate Thanksgiving, right? Um, the Israelites didn't maybe carve turkeys and pass green bean casseroles, but they had sacrifices of thanksgiving. They had feasts of thanksgiving, like feasts of first fruits, dedicated to God. And so, like I said, this is my first Thanksgiving here with you guys, and usually how I spend my Thanksgiving is with international students at my parents' home. Uh, my parents will host a few international students every year, and we'll make all the traditional American Thanksgiving food um, and there's no hint of American. There's no Americans there. But we all spoke, speak in broken English, worse than mine. And uh, we spend Thanksgiving together. We pray, we read scripture, we sing. And so on the topic of Thanksgiving, we, yeah, we talk about it, right? But now, most of these students are not Christians. Probably in this student organization that I was part of, maybe like 70%, 80% of the students that were coming every year were non-Christians. And so we would take them everywhere, things like Thanksgiving. And when we are talking about Thanksgiving with these students, what sets my grateful heart as a Christian apart from their grateful heart? Like, what, what is the difference between the gratitude of a non-believer versus the gratitude of a believer? So thankfulness is a responsive attitude of our heart. You're grateful because of something or someone, and the thankfulness, the heart of thankfulness, draws towards something, the object of what we are gratifying. 
And so our heart's attitude arises from somewhere. It's like fountain. It springs up forth from somewhere. So when they are experiencing thankfulness, what are they drawn toward? When we are being thankful, what are we drawn toward? There's a foundation that is essentially different. A non-believer's gratitude is towards anything that is mortal, that is temporal. The only thing they can put their hope in and their gratitude is something that's perishable. But our gratitude is resting on something unchangeable, which is, who is God? The unchangeable word of God is our foundation. The gospel message that he has given us is our foundation of our gratitude. So that's where we can put our hope in, and that's where it draws our thankfulness. That being said, when Paul writes these exhortations, he's not writing to one individual, just one person, but what he's doing is writing to the whole church, right? For multitude, for the church of Colossae. And when he writes, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And so knowing the gospel message, that we are forgiven and reconciled to God, how do we respond to God's grace. If someone wrongs you in this church, when someone wrongs you, how, what is our response? Are we servants like unforgiving servants in Matthew 18, where the servant has experienced forgiveness, a debt that cannot be paid in his lifetime, but his reaction to the fellow servant tiny fraction of the debt he owed to the master, a tiny fraction, was unforgiveness. Or when, we, when someone wrongs us, is our response, your sin against me is nothing compared that I have committed against God every single day. When you were enemy of God, you were reconciled. When I was enemy of God, I was reconciled by God's grace. We are given the grace of God, the same grace that you have received, I have received. The grace of God that I have received, you have received. And so Paul calls us to be one body. We are called to be one body. We have to be gracious to one another. In the second exhortation from Paul to the church, well, what about the word of Christ? Dwelling the word of Christ. The peace of Christ was ruling in your hearts and dwelling, the indwelling word of God in us is not something that we put on and off. It's dwelling in us. And so, how is the word of God, how is the word of Christ dwelling in our lives, in this church? There's a shop that I visit regularly in town, and there's a Korean lady that works there, and so I talk to her regularly. And she knows I'm a pastor's college student, and we talk about faith regularly. And she said, she told me that she started to read the Bible regularly. And the first question she asked me is, do you think homosexuality is wrong? 
I read the Bible and I feel like it's wrong, but nobody is talking about it. I'm like, oh, that's a good question. We talked about that. The second time I visited her, she said, well, what does it mean, sons of God, Nephilim? What is that? That's when I wish Pastor Stephen spoke Korean. <laughs> but this lady would start to read Bible more and more regularly. And there are more and more things that are bothering her. She's wrestling with God's word day by day. And she says, it's burdensome. I, man, it's such, a, it's such a work to read it, but I can't stop it. And the, and the husband who never read the Bible is affected by that. Now, she said that the husband started to read Bible. Maybe it's just one page a day, but the husband started to read Bible who never read Bible before. And so she has exper- she's experiencing a change in a short period of time. She's not necessarily a mature Christian, but she is experiencing herself a change that she's experienced. She is wrestling with the Word of God. And so, My question to you is, does the Word of God bother you? Are you wrestling with the Word of God? How is it present when you, when you are thinking in your daily lives, when you're speaking with people? Is the Word of God dwelling in you? And so the peace of Christ and the Word of Christ, they are inseparable. They are together. Can you imagine a church... Um, that says, we have peace of Christ, but don't have word of Christ. Or says, we have word of Christ, but you don't see any peace of Christ in that church. I have been part of plenty of churches that emphasize peace is important. It's important that we are reconciled. I've been plenty of churches that emphasize those things greatly, but they didn't have peace of Christ. I mean, they didn't have word of Christ. What do I mean by that? They teach the Bible. They say they preach the gospel. But there's something they withhold. Their sin is actually from withholding the full message of the gospel, the full word of God. So that reminds me of Jeremiah chapter 6. They have healed the brokenness of my people, superficially saying peace, peace, but there's no peace. They were ashamed because the abomination they have done. They were not even ashamed at all. They did not even know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. The time that I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. They pick and choose what they want to see, what they want to hear, and what they want to say. And that is superficially treating a mortal wound, a deadly wound. The people sitting there with this sickness and with this this cancer, this tumor, this rotting flesh, but they're just covering it up because they do not want to talk about sin. And so with this exhortation, again, it's not for individual, but it's for everyone. It's for the whole church. That's why Paul is saying, with wisdom, teach 
and admonish one another, right? And for some, for some reason, then Paul brings hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs. And I'm like, oh. I mean, it made sense when he says teach and admonish, but wait, why does he bring in hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs? Well, there is something about songs. There is something about putting verses and tunes together that touches our heart. Um, we grow up singing nursery rhymes. When I was um, in elementary school in Korea, and we start to learn uh, multiplication, our whole class, we are like I don't know, 30, 40 students, we would sing in unison the multiplication table. It's not that not dramatic song, very simple tune, but that's how I learned multiplication. And even to this day, when I have to calculate something in my head real quick, and I'm like, oh, what is it? I just kind of repeat that tune in my head. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's coming to me. That's how I remember the multiplication to this day. Um, and that's why also when some people ask me, well, what language do you think in? So it depends. <laughs> Math? Korean. <laughs> But we sing in the times of joy, in times of sadness. We even sing when we are going into battle. But this is especially true for, with the Word of God. We just don't sing whatever we feel, but we sing objectively who God is, what He has done, the salvation, the sins of man, these are we, are, we are singing about those things objectively regardless how our circumstances is. Those give us the foundation and the grounds. Um, later, we are going to, going to sing a hymn called Now Thank We All Our God by Martin Rinkard. He was in early 17th century where he was experiencing tragedy in life. There was a war happening, and there's an epidemic. A lot of refugees fleeing to his town, and there's an epidemic going on. People dying, 40, 50 people a day, having to bury in that year almost 5,000. In the same year, he had to bury his own wife. And that's also the time when he wrote the song, Now Thank We All Our God. Singing hymns, Singing songs to God, it covers our weakness. It helps us to instruct. It helps us to admonish together in unison in ways that preaching can't. I watched a testimony of this North Korean refugee fleeing through nine different countries, and she met a missionary uh, in one of those countries and became a Christian with a few other North Korean refugees. And they didn't have the word... They just became Christians, um, but they want to sing together. They don't know any songs. They don't know any hymns. They don't know any songs. Well, there's actually one song they know. I mean, not Christians, not Christian songs, but there's one song they know. Anyone can guess what that song might be? It's a song dedicated for the North Korean dictator. And so they took that song, changed the lyrics, and made it into a worship song. And that's the song, that one song they had. They changed it and then offered it to God together, right? We do take things for granted. We are here resting on a blessing of 
of our forefathers in faith who have written many great works, the songs they have created. For many churches, the songs that we sing, for many churches that they sing in the churches are about upbeat, romantic, um, entertaining. And so I'm very grateful for the people here that do care about what they're singing about. The pastors here, when they select songs for the Sunday that we're singing, they just don't like shuffle list. Okay, that's, those are the songs that we're going to sing. They're not doing that. They do think about it for long periods of time and select it carefully. And the songs they write, I'm very, I am very grateful for that. But it's, just, it's not just about songs and people. Um, and I did say that our gratitude comes from the renewed heart. But it is an exhortation from Apostle. Be thankful. We might not feel thankful, but he says, be thankful. Sing in thankfulness. That's an exhortation. Why? Because we are children of God. We are imitators of Christ. We are sons of God. So be thankful. And one of the things I'm constantly encouraged by is people raising hands in church here. Because in many churches that I was part of, hardly anyone raises their hands. And particularly like last, this past Sunday, Lane Bowman's little son standing on a chair. I'm on the sound booth. And it's just standing on the chair, just uh, raising hands. And it's just so beautiful to see. I don't know what he's thinking. <laughs> I don't think he can even read. <laughs> but he sees people. He sees the parents. The children see the parents do that. You can't hide joy and gratefulness. That's not something you hide. But people... Here, people are joyful and are grateful, and those things are contagious. And little children like that, even though they might not quite understand what it's about, they see the joy and they see the gratefulness. Or even Daniel Froman, when he says amen during sermon, I love that. <laughs> I want to say amen, but my brain is too slow to respond that quickly. It's like five seconds later, oh, it's too late. But it is very encouraging to hear those things, to see those things. A church might sing songs and might preach the word of God. And then you're, you're like, oh, yeah, that's all good and that's great. Until you see complete lack of joy, lack of thankfulness. I was recently able to visit uh, my hometown um, in Germany. Though that's also where I grew up as well. And so I was able to visit some churches and I'm there with my friends. I'm, I'm seeing people. They all, they're all standing there singing. And then during the sermon, they're sitting. They're listening to the sermon. And I'm like, there's just a bunch of dry wood sitting in the pews. Like, I'm just, okay. There's just no, I, don't, I did not see any hint of joy and thankfulness. And that was just very discouraging. Very discouraging. Especially a lot of my experiences encountering old friends, 
and parents of my friends. Especially, a lot of my experiences have been just lack of joy, experiencing hardships in faith, and so thankfulness is not just something that's a perk of a church. No, we can't blame on a culture. My friend was like, "Well, you know, you ought to understand this is the German culture." That's what my friend was saying. And I'm like, "That's n- that's not culture." <laughs> That's sin. That's what it is. If it's a culture that prohibits you to display and have gratitude and joy, that's, that's not the culture that we want to keep. And so we have to understand that the fruit of our renewed hearts is gratitude. And so imagining a church saying, we have peace of Christ, but there's no gratitude. Saying, Or do you think you can teach, admonish God's word to one another when there is no thankfulness for the word of God? So it's not a nice perk. It's essential. It's critical. Not just in our personal lives, but it needs to overflow in our church. It needs to overflow. Like I said, gratitude is contagious. It's not something you hide. I mean, when you hang around people that are constantly grumbling and complaining, it's not that joyful to hang around with. <laughs> it is joyful to hang around people who are joyful. <laughs> I mean, that's just natural. And so when we want to spread around gratitude, well, what are we spreading here? You know, here in this church, in our lives, when we're walking outside the church, what are we spreading to our children, our spouses, our friends? I have a hard time showing gratitude, and that's often very humbling for me to say thank you. <laughs> so we have to understand that our gratitude, where it comes from, and we, and we can't understand it unless we understand the gospel. It's, this gratitude is not for our, just for ourselves, but for the church for the children, for the pastors, for our friends, and even for the visitors. But it's ultimately to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you brought us together as a church by your grace. You purchased us with your precious blood through your Son so that we are redeemed. You have made us new as your sons and daughters, we want to live a godly life that pleases you. Please take away our pride, our ego that create divisive heart, divisive mind, and please, Lord, help us love to love our neighbors, our church, just as you have loved us. May your peace reign over our hearts and your word take hold of our lives. May we, come, um, may we come before you with thankfulness and joy and find delight in our fellow brothers and sisters, knowing that we were all purchased by your precious blood. We want, to, we want this church to be filled with contagious gratefulness and overwhelming joy. that is deeply rooted 
in faith in the gospel. We thank you and we love you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.